1: My name is Tegwin Evion, and looking at me, my disheveled hair, and wrinkled uniform, you may not think I'm critical to a story such as this one. But the truth is, I am, and always have been, stuck in the middle. And the uniform isn't exactly my fault. After all the things I have to look out for in the day, I can't spare time ironing shirts in the morning. Ever since I was a kid, I've run into trouble at every corner, finding people in distress that I somehow managed to pull from their tense state. If someone in a crowd had something wrong with them, I'd somehow manage to find them. If someone were sick or hurting, I'd always be able to get them the help they needed. No one, not even my parents, realized just what I went through every day. It got to the point where I'd come home from the elementary school run dry of notebooks and pencils after giving them away to those that needed them more. Growing up was even worse. Even when I was made fun of in middle school for the lack of supplies I had, or my odd clothing choices that I adored with my whole heart, I still managed to find the ones searching for help. With a hug and some sweet words, they'd be on their merry way, leaving me behind friends fell behind after getting what they needed, crushes left me unnoticed. I was essentially a doormat for anyone and anything. And why? I'm still trying to figure that out this very day. Middle school was mostly just a learning experience for me, a place to grow and learn from my mistakes, as for everyone. But one thing did stick. A girl I met... When I had helped, Maria Hazelbrook. I remember meeting her flawlessly. My mind keeps it in crystal clear condition at the far back for whenever I want to smile upon something. I had helped her in class during a test, allowing her to cheat off of my paper while I distracted the teacher with an imaginary fight in the hallway after returning from the bathroom. Sure, I got detention for a week after that, But the look she gave me was priceless. Her smile stuck in my head. Eventually, she and I started talking, exchanging numbers, and texting each night. She was the first person that had ever been that close to me. Eventually, I graduated from middle school and we split. She was forced to go to a high school that was separate from mine. I had never felt more alone in my life as I entered the doors of the high school shivering in fear. Crowds upon crowds of friends piled together, talking loudly and laughing as they spoke of their new classes. All I could think about was what she'd say if she were there. How we would laugh and bound up the stairs recklessly, taking on our classes together. But instead, I found myself sitting in a seat with strangers surrounding me. That whole day was about to fall apart until someone new walked in. She was gorgeous. And I mean, gorgeous in the way she held herself. How she seemed as though she didn't notice how amazing she looked. It seemed as if she had recently dyed her hair a deep pink, complimenting her bright blue eyes that darted to the floor in avoidance of the glances around her. She awkwardly shuffled to the back of the room before taking a seat next to me and filing through her bag. And I knew at that very moment that I had something to look forward to. No one seemed to pay attention to her, much like me, rather chatting amongst themselves. She was in her own world, opening her notebook and scribbling in the answers to the opening questions on the board for our first year English class. Simple questions. I found myself unable to focus on that entire class, my face heating as I stared down at my blank paper. The days fly by with her next to me. Other classes were easy enough, and I had no struggle with passing. But in English, my grade was beginning to drop. I thought that maybe my dumb luck with helping others may have some sort of effect on her. But to my dismay, she was always put together. Always more than perfect. I found myself stuck between Maria and the new girl. Every time I seemed to get closer, Maria seemed to catch on tossing in a few negative thoughts about what she could be. I never understood why she was so protective, questioning me about if I had gotten into any relationships, trying to push herself back into my life. I missed her, I did, but it was too much. The year passed and I moved into the summer. I had managed to learn the girl's name and grab her number after some close encouragement from a classmate. Ora McCarthy. Summer was going to be amazing. Maria and I had fallen out, talking less and less as I got more and more involved, not realizing that other eyes seemed to be on me as well. Aura and I only grew closer as summer proceeded at agonizingly fast speeds. We hit the movies a few times and even had a few meals out together every blue moon. But the messaging was constant. Her bubbly tone kept me awake at night smiling like an idiot as I looked forward to sophomore year. And sophomore year hit like a truck. My classes were simple and enjoyable, but Aura and I had absolutely no classes together. Our lunch periods were even separated. It was as if the universe tore us from each other just as things started getting good. The year before, I had been given the chance to join a mythology class that was commonly for juniors and seniors, but with my promising grades and supposed bright future, I was able to save myself a spot. That was the class that was the rotten cherry on top of the garbage Sunday. Though the class itself was wonderful, the people in it were intolerable. Four girls were constantly chatting in the corner, dressed to fit their popularity statuses, which were clearly high seeing as the teacher didn't say a single thing with each insult or curse that fell from their lips. Every once in a while, I'd catch a stray gaze and dart my eyes away to keep myself from getting into deeper waters than I already was being in that class at all. That entire week, my so-called talent had come into use in many different instances. I had stopped a poor girl in the hallway from being trampled, prevented a fight from breaking out by leading one of the parties away, and even stopped a teacher from blowing up on a student. But the only thing that was important to me was getting to the end of that week, after something life-changing had been planned. In October of sophomore year, Ora had asked me to walk her home. To many, this might have seemed casual, like a friend asking another to keep them company but with her, it was something entirely different. I was sure of it. She reached out after weeks of little contact. It had to be something, didn't it? Friday night, the rest of the week was pointless. Tests and assignments flying by my mind as I reached the front of the school in a jog, my hands gripping the straps of my backpack like a lifeline before I exited the building. My eyes darted around the heads of those around me searching for that familiar pink that made me light up to match the hue. A few agonizing minutes, before I saw her bright smile and excitedly waving hands. Just as she had asked, we walked, exiting the school's premises, and making our way to a crossroad where she paused. She had frozen in place, tilting her head in curiosity at the scene before her. Of a familiar figure waving their hands, with brown waves that toppled over her shoulders to her lower back, bouncing with her movements. Maria. Rushing over, she slid an arm around mine and gripped it tightly with a smile, even brighter than Aura's. All I could do was stare in awe as the two girls held either of my arms and began to converse. Maria's venomous tone highly outweighing the lightheartedness that Aura brought to the table. Each period made Maria grip my arm tighter before she turned to me and spoke. God, I've missed you so much. I feel like we haven't seen each other in ages, so I thought I'd rush over to say hello before you walked home. I really didn't mean to interrupt anything at all. Aura broke through the silence that I nervously had supplied with a sweet comment. Don't worry. He was just walking me home. I'm sure this isn't a problem. Once I'm there, you two can run off. But we had planned this, so it'd be really nice if... Uh, You could go, I interrupted Ora, nudging Maria with a helpless look in my eyes. This was the one chance I had with her, to walk her home and confess how I felt. Unfortunately, to no avail, seeing as Maria simply shook her head and kept us walking. Ora's arm had gradually slipped from mine, until she was walking across another crossroad ahead of us in a rush to get away from the tense situation. Without looking up at the light. A bright yellow gleam pooled on her frame, as a cart approached, causing me to break from Maria and rush forward. All I could think about was getting her away from that moment, whether it be the adrenaline pulsing through me as I fought to get away from Maria, or knowing what disaster could have sparked if I hadn't jumped in the way. Risking all I had in that very moment, our bodies collided and we pummeled to the ground, twisting and turning onto the sidewalk where I laid on top of her dust and gravel coated my body as I coughed. She began to punch my chest from below. She was less than amused. Seriously? Was there nothing else you could have done? She yelled, staring down at her ruined clothing and the traffic that was now held up due to the fumble. The cars had luckily not crashed, rather fell into a standstill as the argument raged forth. I'm leaving! Don't try to follow me! Don't talk to me! Nothing! And you! she eyed Maria, sniffling. Hope you're happy! With that, who I thought was the love of my life stormed off into a crowded road of worried citizens that tried to aid her in her venture. I was left staring at what I had created. Maria's hand on my shoulder only made me angrier as I lightly shoved it off. Next time? When I say go, just listen to me. You ruined what I had! I turned, groaning as I made my way home, without another word. The next day felt miserable. Each hour that passed had no meaning to it. I felt as though I had lost the few friends I had by saving a life. I was so stuck in my own mind that I didn't see the chatter amongst the crowds that I passed, or the fingers being pointed as people spread around what had happened. Murmurs of a boy being yelled at after saving a poor girl's life pooled along the hallways entering and leaving everyone's minds within minutes of the school's opening. I was a celebrity without even knowing it. While walking to my mythology class, I had even received a pat on the back or two, pushing past it as a mishap or some sort of miscommunication between friends. But the moment I stepped into the classroom, I knew something was amiss. Everyone went silent as I made my appearance, including the usually rather talkative side of the room who were all staring and tilting their heads in curious manners. One specifically, the girl who seemed to be the Queen Bee of the group, stood and approached my stiff stance, her soft blonde hair swaying to match the sickeningly sweet gaze that met my nervous one as she reached out to take my hand. I felt as though I may pass out as her fingers intertwined with mine, and her eyes burned a hole into my heart. Then she opened her lips to finally speak. I heard about what you did… for that girl. Her eyes trailed around the room. I don't think I've ever known someone as bold as you are. I mean, really. You threw yourself in front of a car. She looked back to me, squeezing my hand and leaning in to whisper something in my ear. Why don't we meet after school? I stood there, frozen for another minute as she returned to her group, before shakily taking a seat and realizing what I had gotten myself into. The class ran along with eyes on me at all times, causing me to pay little to no attention as I awaited the end of the day with a tapping foot and shaking hands. Finally, the last bell rang. I wasn't sure where she expected me to find her. In fact, I wasn't even sure I wanted to see her at all. But the way she held my hand… I just couldn't bring myself to ditch her. Plus, I had somehow gained even more glances after that little expression of adoration. I once more stepped out of the school to find the blonde running up to me, her cheeks pink and her eyes a beautiful deep blue to match her ivory skin tone. Once more, my hand was grabbed as her smile grew. Her friends had gone home by that point, leaving just her and me in a bustling crowd of students. Amongst it, Aura watching from afar as the girl leaned forward. I'm Gwen. Gwen Whittle. And I'm about to change your life. And she did. I walked her home that day, and the day after that, and the day after that, and gradually, I started getting noticed. People reached out to talk to me, and I found that part of me enjoyed it. Aura was in the past. Maria was dropped. I had a friend group in everything I wanted, including Gwen. Throughout the year I thought she was some sort of snake, preying on those lower than her. But I saw that she reached out to those in need every day, bringing them into her friend group just as she did with me. And rumors became truth. She and I ended up getting tied up into an intimate relationship as Aura and Maria seethed behind closed doors. It was perfect. And that's how my odd luck got me a seat next to the queen bee.
0: I'm Alvin. Like most days, I got off the school bus and walked two blocks to the kindergarten where my mom works. As usual, I stood waiting for her at the front of the building. On that day, though, a man came from nowhere, grabbed my backpack, and ran away with it. Hey! That's my math homework you're stealing! I yelled after him. There's nothing of value to even steal! The man disappeared around the corner, distraught. I slumped down and continued waiting for my mother. That's the price you pay for living here. Things like this happen all of the time. My mom finally got off work at 5 p.m. Someone stole my math homework while I was waiting for you, I told her. Just like me, she'd gotten used to it. You're lucky. Someone stole all four tires from a client's car today, she said laughing. (laughs) We continued chatting while walking to our fake home. You heard that right. I said fake. You'll figure out what I mean in a moment. You see, this old and rather dilapidated house goes with the rest of the neighborhood. After about 10 minutes, we made it to our fake home. My mom made herself a coffee as we waited for my dad until 6pm. After my dad came home from work, we spent another hour waiting impatiently. Then we hurried around the house, closing the curtains so our neighbors wouldn't see us. From the moment the curtains closed every evening, we'd live as we truly are, like rich people. We went down to the basement of our fake home. My dad turned on the facial recognition system. We turned our faces to the hidden cameras. As soon as the system identified us, the secret door in our basement opened. The secret door revealed a 5.4 mile long tunnel. It's actually a subway line that belongs to my parents and me. We use this unique subway every night to reach our real home. After a short ride, we made it to our mansion. Our property is enclosed by 13 feet high walls. During the day, there are hundreds of people working here, maintaining the grounds. Maids, drivers, cooks, and gardeners. The staff leaves at 6.30pm. We arrive after they're gone, and it's only us at the mansion. We walked into the dining hall. We filled our plates with food from the buffet and sat down. The best chefs in the world cook a hundred different dishes every night. My dad asked, How was your day, son? Someone stole my backpack as I was waiting for Mom. I had my math homework in that backpack. I need to do it all over again, I replied. Dad smiled. Bummer. I'm free tonight if you need help, he said. Dad, I hate hiding the fact that we're rich. Horrible things keep happening to us in that neighborhood, and they always will. Alvin, we talked about this so many times. We have to live this way. We have no choice but to adapt, he replied, frowning. Yes, we had talked about this many times. Yet, I still didn't understand why we had to hide that we were the wealthiest family in the world. My grandfather had won the biggest jackpot of all time from the lottery. On the way to claim his winnings, he and my grandmother got in a car accident. My grandmother died instantly. My grandfather fell ill in his grief. So he hired a lawyer to get his affairs in order and found an investment advisor. I'm not going to touch this money. Invest with it as you like. I want my son to benefit from it in the future he said. The advisor was very good at his job. He built hotels and shopping malls worldwide, and bought shares in gold and diamonds, and stakes in many successful companies. My grandfather's lottery winnings grew exponentially, reaching billions of dollars. When my grandfather died, my parents inherited all his wealth. For some reason, we have to hide it. We pretend to live in the lowest income neighborhood of our city. We can only enjoy the privileges of being wealthy when we're in the mansion. I've been putting up with this for years because my parents want me to, but I've had it. I want to live my best life 24 hours a day. It's my (laughs) birthright. I thought about everything that night, and came up with an idea. If I made sure my friends at school knew about how rich we were, they would definitely tell their friends and families. Word would spread like wildfire, and all kinds of people would know about our fortune. Then my parents would have to concede that it was impossible to hide any longer and we could start living the high life every day. I put my plan into motion the next day without hesitation. To start, I decided to tell two people, Nancy and Justin. I can't really say that I like them. I think they're super obnoxious, but they both were pretty popular in school and loved gossiping. Thanks to them, my family's secret would be out in no time. After lunch, I called both of them to the schoolyard and cut to the chase. I'm going to share my family's biggest secret with you. They were both stunned. I'm not kidding what I'm about to tell you, so you've got to trust me, I said. I had to muster up the courage to keep speaking. Nancy and Justin waited with anticipation. They both stared at me intensely. My family is the richest family in the world, and I'm the richest kid in the world, I said. My friends just stared at each other. Then they both (laughs) burst out laughing. If I'm honest, that's the reaction I was expecting. You don't believe me, and you have every reason not to. I'm going to ask you to come with me. What I'm about to show you is sure to convince you," I said. You better find other people to mess around with, Justin groaned. Nancy was all in. Alvin looks dead serious, she said, and I'm curious about what's happening here. I couldn't take my friends to our fake home because I didn't know how to operate the facial recognition system. That being the case, I wouldn't be able to open the secret door. That's why I decided to take them to the mansion in broad daylight. It would be my first time entering my own house from the front door. But first, I had to convince the security detail posted outside. There was a gigantic iron door at the entrance, and a security booth for the guards. Nancy and Justin stared in disbelief, first at the majestic door, then at the towering walls. One of the guards came out of the booth. Kids, this is private property. Please leave, he said. I told the guard, you don't know me, but I live here. I want to show our house to my friends, I said. I'm not in the mood for jokes, kid. Move along, please, he groaned. My room is on the third floor, I said, trying to convince him. There's a MacBook on my bed right now. I binge-watched Netflix until late last night. I can list off every show to prove it to you. Take us up there. Son, you're a fool if you think you can play me like that. I'll have to make a citizen's arrest for trespassing if you don't leave now, he responded. Justin turned to me. Alvin... I don't know if this is your idea of a prank, but I'm not getting in trouble because of some weird lie. This guy seems pretty serious. Let's get out of here before he puts us in a chokehold or something, he said. I decided to play my last card. I'm going to tell my father about this. If you don't want to lose your job, let us in. This is my house, I screamed. At the last second, the iron gate started opening. A luxury car with dark windows was leaving the property. It stopped where we stood. The black backseat window came down. The person inside looked out and asked, What seems to be the problem here? The security guard said, Sir, this kid says he lives here. The man looked at me condescendingly. You certainly do not live here. This is my private property, and I have two daughters, no son, he said. Let's go, he commanded the driver, rolling up his window. I just stood there, shocked. He's lying. This is our house, I murmured. Justin and Nancy looked at each other nervously. Nancy said, And to think I believed you, even for a second. Justin nodded. Called it. They turned around and started walking back. I was sure that everyone at school would find out about what happened. This mansion was my home. Who was that man? Knowing it was useless to insist, I went back to my family's run-down fake house. When I walked into the house, I saw my parents waiting impatiently for me. They both looked upset. Obviously. They knew what had happened. My mom said, Alvin, we watched you and your friends on the security camera. What you did was incredibly reckless. I had tears (laughs) pouring down my face. You're right, Mom. I'm so sorry. But who was that man? Don't we own the mansion? I asked. My dad said, Of course we do. That man is a professional actor. Staff at the mansion think he owns the house. It's another precaution we had to take so that no one would suspect what's going on. Dad, why do we have to take so many precautions? Why are we hiding our real selves from the world? I really want to know!" I pleaded. My dad looked at my mom, who nodded at him before turning to me. We hid some things from you to protect you. We knew we'd have to tell you one day, but we were worried about your mental health. Dad said, pausing. He looked back at my mom again. She nodded for him to go on. Then she started crying, softly. My dad took a deep breath and began to explain. We used to be the family you always wanted us to be. You weren't born yet. We had a daughter named Betty. Everyone knew how rich we were, which made our lives incredibly difficult. We used to go everywhere with an army of guards. We all had to wear bulletproof vests. Then something awful happened. Someone managed to kidnap your sister. They demanded we give them a hundred million dollars as ransom. We said yes, of course. But they never released her, even though we gave them the money. The police were sure it was because Betty had seen their faces. This was a massive trauma for us. After that, your mom and I made a decision. We moved to the inner city and set up this life to hide our wealth. We lost our daughter. We couldn't protect her. We don't want to lose our son too. (laughs) Alvin, all this is for you. This is the only way to live a quiet life away from danger. Now I knew everything. I hugged my dad. My mom got up and joined us. We all cried for Betty for a while. I'm really sorry about today. I didn't know you were trying to protect me. I will be careful from now on, I said. From that day on, I made Mom and Dad a promise to live humbly during the day and never tell anyone again.
1: Hi, I'm Declan, and I just got out of college. On the morning of my very first job interview, I was super nervous. My knees were trembling. Somehow, I got through the whole process, and here I am, ready to go into the real world with a paying job. Only... One thing hasn't changed. I'm still super nervous, and anxious as heck! But what I keep telling myself is that my family depends on me. I'm the first one in my family to even make it past high school. And I feel like it's my duty to help them get out of living in poverty. I owe them at least that. After all, my parents worked their whole lives to pay for my studies, and my brothers and sisters had always been there to support me. On my first day of work, I put on my nicest shirt, shined my shoes until I could see my reflection on it, and brushed my teeth three times, just for good measure. I was so nervous as I sat during the orientation that I began to feel... Ugh... Weird. I was giddy. And antsy. And clumsy. So when my new boss came over to shake my hand, I stood up too fast. She was bending over to greet me, not expecting me to stand. My head met her face and she stumbled backwards. I panicked. Who headbutts their boss on their first day of work? So I grabbed her by the back and pulled her towards me, making sure she didn't stumble further and fall on the floor. Instead... I'd pulled too hard. In One moment, my boss was falling. The very next, her lips were on mine. Everyone around us gasped. My boss didn't even pull away. She just looked at me and batted her eyelashes. My, my. Nice to meet you too, Declan. Oh, I was so flustered. I just stumbled over my words. I, uh, miss... Uh, I, I'm i so sorry, uh, Miss Garrick. I didn't, I didn't me- mean to. uh, Please don't fire me. Why would I fire you for a kiss? I enjoyed it. And call me Catherine. Miss Garrick makes me sound old. I don't look old, do I? No, 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 no. Miss G- uh, k- Catherine. Uh, uh, I must say. I've never greeted someone with a full-on kiss on the lips before. Way to make an impression. But, see, I'm a lady. I don't kiss before the first date. And now, you owe me. Owe oh, you? Uh, miss? I am I mean, uh, uh, Catherine? A date, of course. 5 p.m. A car will be waiting for you outside. <laughs> and so, yeah... That was my first day of work. I kinda became an instant hero. Everybody was talking about the newbie who accidentally kissed the boss and got a date. It was so jittery, though. I'd never been on a date before. And I was going on one with my boss! As promised, there was a car waiting for me as soon as I clocked out for the day. And it wasn't just some car. It was a limo! The limo took me downtown, and when it stopped, the driver opened the door for me and called me sir. It was a really weird sensation. The hostess at the restaurant greeted me with a smile. We've been expecting you. Declan, right? I nodded. Then, a waitress took my jacket and led me through the dining room, up to the very back where only VIPs got to sit. Another waiter pulled my chair up for me and put a napkin on my lap. I was living like a king! I was used to people shooing me away because we were so poor. But now... Now, people were serving me! I promised myself I would work really hard to afford that life. Sitting across from me was Catherine, all dressed up and looking like those beautiful ladies in magazines. Do you have a girlfriend, Declan? Ah, uh, n- No, miss... Uh, I mean... C- Catherine... I figured as much. I've never had one. Never? Uh, yes, ma'am. That's a disgrace! You need to get a girlfriend! But... Hmm... As much as I would like to keep you for myself, I actually invited you over here for my daughter. Your... your daughter? Yes, here she is now. And in walked Emily. She looked exactly like a younger version of her mom. And you could easily mistake them for sisters. Over the next few weeks, Emily and I went on a few dates. Not really my idea. Catherine really, really wanted me to date her daughter. She even hinted that I should propose. And I didn't understand why. It's not that Emily wasn't pretty, or nice. I just felt uncomfortable dating my boss's daughter. But Catherine made me a deal. She said if I made Emily my girlfriend, she would promote me to being her assistant. So, thinking about being able to help my family more, I said yes. People at work were starting to hate me because of all the favors I was getting. One guy in particular was Emily's ex, Darren. He dumped her a year ago, but now that she's seeing someone else, he wants her back. Not only that, Darren had been eyeing my position for years, and when I got the girl and the promotion... Darren took out his frustrations on me. Darren would pull these little pranks. He would hide my lunch or put glue on my chair. I ignored all that. But then... Things began to escalate. He started stealing things from me. He stole some pens, my mouse pad, a bracelet that I bought to surprise Emily with, and even took my favorite coffee mug. Some days, I would find my car vandalized. I was still very understanding. I didn't let it get to me. But then, one day, I saw something I couldn't ignore. I saw Darren stealing everyone's sales. See, our job is based on commission. The more deals we close, the more we earn. Every customer who comes in gets referred to an agent. But Darren made it look like he made all the sales that day. He did it again the next day. And so, I confronted him about it. What are you gonna do about it, huh? Tell your girlfriend's mom? Go run to mommy, Declan! Some people laughed. But I reminded them that Darren had been stealing from them, too. Tell corporate for all I care. You'll never prove it was me. And he was right. We had no proof. We did try to complain to corporate. Catherine even backed us up, but they didn't believe us. So, I devised a plan with my coworkers. Darren stole thousands of dollars of commission from us. It was only right that he lost something worth that. So, during lunch, we snuck out into the car park. Sally went to buy nails at the nearby hardware store. Roger ran to the garden center to get sand, and Mimi took all the sugar we had from the office cafeteria. Sally stuck in the nails in the wheels of Darren's car. Roger and Mimi poured sand and sugar in its tank. And I wrote Thief about a hundred times all over his car with a Sharpie. I was actually feeling pretty good about it. I felt satisfied. Until the very next morning when I got called into Catherine's office. And there was the VP of the company. And he was scolding my boss. Catherine, I told you to keep an eye out for my son. And now look at what's happened. I demand you fire this boy immediately. Huh? No wonder they never believed a word we said. Because Darren's the son of the VP. I was fired that day. And no amount of explanation helped. Not even Catherine was able to do anything about it. She took me outside and apologized. I told her it wasn't her fault. And she told me the real reason why she wanted me to date Emily so bad. It was because she hated the VP and how corrupt he was. She didn't want Darren to get back together with Emily because if they got married, Darren's father could easily blackmail her by using her daughter. Of course, now that you know the truth, you don't have to keep seeing my daughter. You kept your word, but I wasn't able to protect you. Catherine? Why would I ever leave Emily? uh, What? I love her. At first, I was hesitant. At first, I was just doing it for the job. But your daughter? (laughs) She's amazing! She makes me laugh. She's beautiful. She's smart. Who wouldn't want to be with her? Why would I leave her? In fact, I should be worried about her leaving me, now that I'm unemployed. We heard someone laugh, and we turned around. We didn't see Darren had been listening to us the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Who's laughing now, you homewrecking pleb? Go back to the trailer park where you belong. Nobody wrecked your home, Darren. Emily doesn't want to be with you anymore because all you do is play Fortnite in your pajamas at your mother's basement. Everyone laughed at that. <sighs> <sighs> Whatever, welfare kid. Shut up and go home. You're trespassing on private property. You don't work here anymore. I said goodbye to my friends and accepted defeat. I figured I was better off somewhere else anyway. But my friends surprised me. They railed around me. They said if they fired me, they would all walk, leaving the entire place with just Darren and his two friends. Even Catherine threatened to leave. Darren's dad called her bluff. And we called his. The next day, nobody turned up for work. And Darren and his friends were swamped. Hundreds of complaints were called into corporate. And it got so bad that the CEO herself flew down to see why we were on strike. And that? That was when we finally got justice. The CEO learned what happened. We told her that Darren had been stealing our commissions and that his dad covered it up and tried to fire us. As a result, Darren and his dad were fired immediately. The CEO also reinstated me. And not only that, she promoted me to manager. Catherine's old job because Catherine was now the VP, replacing Darren's dad. That all happened in front of Darren. He looked so furious that a simple, poor guy like me ended up getting everything he always wanted. But you know what? I felt he deserved a bit more suffering. So, to rub it in his face, I got down on my knees and took Emily's hand in mine. I took out a ring that I had been hiding for the past two weeks. Emily, I know it hasn't been very long, but in this short span of time, you've shown me how beautiful, kind, and loving you are, and I don't ever want to live in a world where I don't have you by my side. Emily, with your mom's blessing, will you marry me? Catherine was so excited. She jumped up and down and rushed to hug me. I welcomed her hug, thinking she'd move her head to the side. She didn't. And once again, Catherine and I were kissing accidentally. Behind her, Emily put her hands on her hips and looked very much annoyed. Mom! That's my man! Hmph! Catherine wiped her lips and smiled with guilt. I guess that means she says yes. And as the guards escorted Darren and his father off the building, Catherine, Emily, and I shared a toast with our friends and co-workers.
0: I'm Sam. One night, my stepdad came home out of breath. Turn off the lights. They were following me, but I got rid of them. They can't find out where I live or else I'm done for. I turned off all the lights. My mom screamed, What's going on? Who are you running away from? Have you been gambling again? My stepdad shut her up by saying, Keep your voice down. They'll hear you. These men are armed. Trust me, you don't want them to find me. He waited anxiously all night in the dark, listening to the sounds outside. Whenever a car passed by, our hearts started pounding. I'd never been so scared in my life. My stepdad Keith has a gambling problem. As usual, he lost all the money he had on him. Then he borrowed more money from the casino. He gambled that away as well. The owner of the casino said, You have one week. If you don't pay... You'll owe me twice as much. My stepdad couldn't pay it back. Months passed by. His debt kept going up. Eventually, the owner of the casino decided to take matters into his own hands. My dad died when I was ten. My mom was really lonely after that. She needed someone she could share her life with. She met Keith last year, but I knew he wasn't a good person the first (laughs) time I saw him. I begged my mom not to marry him, but she wouldn't listen. She married him too quickly. And even though the marriage is failing, she still puts up with him because she's too scared of being alone. The next morning, I had to go to school because I had an important exam. I hadn't gotten enough sleep and I was feeling awful. During the exam, I put my head on the desk and fell asleep for a while. My teacher noticed and asked, What's going on, Sam? Are you sick? After the exam, my best friend Pete came to chat. You don't look good, bro. What's up? He said. I told him what happened the night before. He was concerned. This is really serious. In movies, when bad guys want to scare people who owe them, they say, if you don't pay, you won't see your family again. So it's not your stepdad who's in real danger. It's you and your mom, he said. Pete was right. It's impossible for him to come up with all that money to pay the guys. I need to protect my mom from them. But I don't know how I'm going to do that, I replied. Pete smiled. I owe you a lot. Now it's time for me to help you out. We're going to my place after school. I only need you to promise me one thing. Everything you'll find out will stay a secret between us. Deal? I was really intrigued. I nodded. Of course. You can trust me, I said. You might be wondering why Pete said, I owe you a lot. So let me tell you. Pete came to our school at the beginning of the year. Just like every other school, we've got bullies. They started picking on him because Pete was so short. They'd shout, midget, whenever they saw him. Pete couldn't say anything back because he was afraid of them we had just met. Once, they started picking on Pete while I was with him, but I taught those bullies a lesson that day. From then on, they kept away from us. Afterward, Pete always felt like he owed me, but I didn't expect anything in return since he was my friend. I'd never been to Pete's house. Which bus goes to your place? I asked. He smiled. We're not taking the bus. You're going to learn a lot of things about me today, he said. We walked three blocks until we stopped at a corner and started waiting. A gigantic SUV showed up and parked in front of us. The driver got off and opened the door. I got into the SUV. Turns out Pete's family was beyond rich. Hmm? Why do you go to public school if you're so well off, I asked. Because my parents were worried that I'd be a spoiled little brat if Hmm? I were friends with rich kids, Pete said. That's why they wanted me to go to public school. I agreed, so I played along. After a while, we arrived at a huge mansion. There were security guards everywhere. Pete said, my parents are traveling for work. Normally, I can't have friends over. Come on, I want to show you some wild stuff. You wouldn't believe me if I told you about all this. That's why I wanted you to see them for yourself. The mansion looked amazing. I still couldn't process the fact that my best friend was so rich. How do you make so much money? What did his father do for a living? Still stunned by the grandeur of Pete's house, he led me out the back door. There were lots of trees in the garden. Pete pointed to one of the trees. I looked at the tree he was gesturing towards, but I didn't get it. Pete (laughs) laughed out loud. Bro, look a little closer. Notice anything strange about these trees? I looked at the tree again. What? No way. That's impossible, I screamed. What I thought were leaves turned out to be money. As I moved in closer, I realized that they were all hundred dollar bills. Then I looked at the other trees. They were full of money too. I turned to Pete and said, you're not pranking me, are you? Of course not. These are money trees, he said. These trees are the source of my family's fortune. More specifically, the leaves we pick from them, he replied. Soon after, we went to Pete's room. I couldn't help but start yelling in excitement. This is all at once the most ridiculous, unbelievable, and miraculous thing I've ever seen in my life, Pete said. (laughs) Actually, if you look at it, it's not a miracle. It's science. My dad's a botanist. He worked on this crazy project for 12 years and finally succeeded in engineering trees that can grow money. (laughs) Then he took out a box. Inside were things that looked like nuts, but they were green in color. He took one out and offered it to me. What you're holding in your hand is a money plant seed. It grows up to 6 feet in only 10 days and yields 200 $1 bills. You can think of the bills like fruit. If you don't pick the fruit, they'll ripen. In 10 more days, $1 bills become $10 bills. Once 30 days pass, $10 bills mature to $100 bills. After harvesting all the bills in the tree at full maturity, you'll have $20,000. Then the cycle starts again. 10 days later, you get $1 bills. 20 days, you get $10 bills. 30 days, you get $100 bills, and so on. The numbers may sound confusing, but all you really need to remember is you can get $20,000 a month from one tree. That adds up to $240,000 a year. I was listening to him in shock. If I hadn't just seen the money trees, I would have never believed what Pete was telling me. Pete said, my dad gives me one money plant seed every birthday. That way I can grow my own money trees in the future. The seed I gave you is yours now. You can pay off your stepdad's debt with it. And thanks to the money tree, you can live all your life without worrying about money. I was so excited. This was such a big gift. I hugged Pete. (laughs) I will never, ever forget this. I could never even dream to repay you, I told him. Pete's driver was going to drop me off at home. I said goodbye to my friend and got in the SUV. On the way, I started thinking about what I needed to do. First of all, I decided not to mention the money tree to my stepdad. If I told him, he wouldn't believe me anyway. But should I tell my mom? It made more sense to hide it from her as well for now. Maybe I can tell it down the line. My priority was to grow the tree and pay off my stepdad's debt with the first crop. When I came home, I found my mom and stepdad fighting. What difference does it make if you sell the furniture, my mom said. You're saying you owe them $10,000. You couldn't even get $1,000 for everything here. If we make $1,000 selling off the furniture, my stepdad shouted back, then the amount I owe goes down to $9,000. This is our problem. Everyone needs to chip in. Then he turned to me. Sam, you can't cruise anymore. You're going to quit school and start working. His tone grew more intense. You will give me every penny you make. I glowered back at him. I'll pay off your debt, I said coldly, but you need to ask for more time. Convince them to wait for one more month. Tell them that if they agree, you'll give them double. $20,000 instead of ten. My stepdad didn't take me seriously. What the heck are you on, kid? How are you going to come up with $20,000 in a month? He screamed. What else you got? I responded calmly, holding my ground. Besides, I'm not doing this for you, but for mom. He stared at me. He didn't believe me, but he obviously needed more time anyway. Okay. I'll go and talk to the guys. But if we can't put together 20000 by next month, it's over. You will have to say goodbye to your mom. I went to my room without a word. Now I could see the real extent of Pete's <laughs> generosity. Thanks to him, not only could I pay the debt, but I would also never have to work again in my life. After everyone went to sleep, I snuck out to the backyard. There was a gap between the tall garden fence and the house itself. I was sure that no one had been there in years. It was completely out of sight. I could grow the money tree here without anybody noticing. I turned on my phone's flashlight to find a good spot and planted the seed. Now, all I needed was time. The next night, I waited for everyone to fall asleep. I went down to check the tree. There was nothing. I was so stressed. I really wanted everything to go as planned. When I checked again in a week, I was so excited to see the little plant coming out of the seed. (laughs) I took a picture and sent it to Pete. He immediately replied, Congrats, bro. You're the proud owner of a money tree now. That night, I dreamed of swimming in a pool of money until the morning. When I woke up the next morning, I had a huge (laughs) smile on my face. When the 10 days were up, I was incredibly psyched. After making sure my mom and my stepdad were sleeping, I went out to the garden. When I turned on my phone's flashlight, the tree was illuminated. I almost screamed with joy. Just like Pete said, there was a lot of $1 bills on the tree. I was so happy that I couldn't stand still. I started dancing as if there was music playing. Just about then, I heard a noise behind me. What are you up to? I've been watching you for days. What are you so happy about? When I turned back, I saw my stepdad. I was shocked. I opened my mouth but couldn't speak. My stepdad was holding a big flashlight. He held it up to the tree. What's this? Why did you stick all this money on this tree? Then he lifted his hand up and grabbed one of the dollars. First, he looked at the tree, then to the money, and finally to me. He was wild-eyed. Is money growing on this tree? You better have an explanation for this. Tell me what's going on, he screamed. He had caught me off guard. I was in no shape to lie to him. Yes, this is a money tree. Don't pick from it anymore. It's only been ten days since I planted it. That's why you see those one dollar bills on the tree. In 10 more days, those $1 bills will become $10 bills. In 20 days, they will all turn into $100 bills. You can then pay off your debt with the $20,000 we'll end up harvesting in total. My stepdad Keith was looking at me in disbelief. Where did you get this seed? I can't tell you that, but know that we only have this one seed. This is our only chance to pay off your debt, I replied. Keith looked at the money on the tree. His eyes lit up. This is my house. So this is my tree, too. He paused for a tense moment. I'll wait ten days. We'll see if those ones on my tree turn to tens. If you're lying to me, boy, both you and your mom are out of my house for good. I could only imagine the evil things my stepdad was capable of. I had no choice but to go along with whatever he said. The next day, I told my mom what happened. Naturally, she didn't believe me. I went to the backyard to show her the money tree. My stepdad was there, sitting in a camp chair, drunk with happiness and greed, watching the tree. He stood up when he saw us. Looks like dreams do come true. I just hope I never wake up. This tree is going to make me a wealthy man. (laughs) He said, laughing out loud. Ten days passed. When I woke up that morning, I was so excited that I jumped out of bed. When I went to look at the tree, I was shocked. The $1 bills should have transformed into $10 bills. But there was no money on the money tree at all. I ran inside. My stepdad sat (laughs) counting all the money he'd collected from the tree on the kitchen table. He was in a good mood. You were right. I picked 199 $10 bills, he said holding a single bill up to the light. Look at this. I still can't believe this grew on a tree. I was so mad at him. Why did you harvest them before they turned into $100 bills? He carefully collected a fat stack of bills and stuffed them in a small pocket of his satchel. There's something I need to do, and I needed some money to be able to do it. So I got some from my tree. It'll grow more anyway. (laughs) I still couldn't figure out what he was planning to do. Didn't the casino boss give you only a month? How are you going to pay off your debt to them now? The pocket in my stepdad's bag bulged crudely, barely holding the wad of money inside. What is this, an interrogation? He snapped. Enough! It's my tree! I can harvest my money whenever I want! I don't need your permission! His shouts echoed through the kitchen as he stormed off. He obviously had a plan, and that's why he'd collected the money so early. I knew Keith wasn't stupid. He was definitely after something, but I couldn't figure out what that was. I decided that I had to talk to Pete at once. When I called Pete, he was just as shocked that my stepdad had harvested the bills too soon. Bro, do you want to come to my place? I'm sending the driver over now. There was something that I was hesitant to do before, but I think now's the time to do it, he said. I realized what Pete had meant when I arrived at his family's estate. He was waiting for me at his doorstep, accompanied by someone I had never met before. The guy next to him smiled and held out his hand. Very nice to meet you, young man. I'm Pete's dad. My son always talks about you, but I didn't know he'd given you a money tree seed. The news from Pete this morning was quite a surprise, to be honest. Meanwhile, Pete was staring at his feet, a guilty look on his face. Pete's dad gestured towards the door. Pete rushed inside, and I followed. After a long walk through several spacious rooms, we arrived in a grand hall. Pete's dad told us to sit. The tension hung heavily in the room. Pete's dad took a deep breath. The money trees were supposed to stay a secret. I'll be honest. I'm very disappointed by my son's actions. On the other hand, I'm aware of how much he cares for you. As you can see, Pete takes after me. I was often bullied at school for my short stature as well. Unfortunately, I didn't have a friend like you who could have protected me. So I understand Pete's motive. If I were in his shoes, I would have wanted to help my best friend too. Pete was relieved. He looked at his dad with a smile on his face. A smile his dad returned. Pete's dad continued worry in his voice if that were the only issue everything would be fine but regrettably it sounds like things got out of hand i'm sure your mother also means well so i trust her however the fact that your stepdad knows about the money tree is a huge problem so i have an idea to fix it the staff here knows about the money trees but they've each signed a non-disclosure agreement which prevents them from talking about it i'm going to offer your stepdad 10 million dollars in exchange for your money tree on the condition that he signs the same agreement. Will you please take me to him? Pete's dad had found a reasonable solution. That amount was far more than Keith could ever harvest from a single money tree in his remaining lifetime. We got in the car and drove off. When we made it to our house, we were in for a surprise. Inside, we found my mom crying. She held me close. Between sobs, she managed to say, Sam, your stepdad left. I don't care about that. But he took the money tree with him. I didn't get it. We went out to the backyard. There was a huge hole where the tree had been. Pete's dad asked, Please, tell us what happened. This was my mom's first time meeting Pete's dad. She looked at me hesitantly. Mom, you can tell him everything. Pete's dad created the money trees, I said Mm -hmm. reassuring her. I was at work. Our next door neighbor called upset about the noise coming from our backyard. I figured something was up, so I immediately came home. Keith had the tree removed with a backhoe. They were loading it into the truck bed when I arrived. I asked him what he was doing. We're done, he shouted. Don't look for me. To hell with you then, I shouted back. But that tree doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Sam. You can't just take it away. But he didn't listen. I'm so upset that I couldn't stop him. Sam was right all along. I never should have married that man. It finally made sense why Keith had harvested the money so soon. He needed it to move the tree somewhere else. More importantly, it would have been impossible for him to transport a tree full of bills, not if he wanted to keep it hidden. I turned to Pete's dad. What do we do now, I asked. Pete and his dad looked at each other for a few moments and burst out (laughs) laughing. My mom and I were flabbergasted. We had no idea what was so funny. (laughs) We don't need to do anything, Pete's dad said. It seems as though your stepdad has resolved the problem all by himself. When he realized we had no clue what he was saying, he began to explain. A money plant seed can only grow where it's planted. You can't transplant it. It's an issue I'm still working on, I simply can't figure out. If you disturb the seed, even a day after planting, the tree stops developing. Your stepdad is in for a real disappointment. That tree will never grow bills again. It's not a money tree anymore. It may as well be a husk of driftwood. That explains the laughter, I said. But he can still tell people that it was a money tree. Wouldn't that be a problem for you? Pete's dad put his hand on my shoulder. No problem at all, because no one would ever believe him. Would you have believed that a money tree existed if you hadn't seen it for yourself? If your stepdad tells anyone that the tree had once been full of bills, I can assure (laughs) you that they'd laugh harder than us. Then he turned to my mom. I'm sure your husband will come back here once he figures out the tree is not growing any money. You can come with us if you like. Our home is certainly big enough. My wife will be happy to host the two of you," he said. We stayed with Pete and his family for a while, until Pete's dad bought a house and gifted us two money tree seeds. We've been harvesting $40,000 from our money trees every month. I'm a millionaire now, and I owe this to my dear friend Pete. We hadn't heard from my stepdad since. We'd forgotten about him until one night I randomly came across him on the TV. The police had busted an illegal gambling ring. Keith was one of several witnesses. One of the reporters held a mic to Keith and asked him what he was doing at the casino. I owed a pretty big debt to the owner. When I couldn't come up with it, I was forced to work with him for 10 years. I've been a janitor here ever since then, he replied. It turns out all this time he'd been paying off his debt to the mob by working as a custodian. To be honest, I didn't feel sorry for him. Keith was a victim of his own greed, responsible and deserving of everything that happened to him.